Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, January the 7th, 2022. It is currently 3.49 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, the fact that I have this microphone and I have the ability to go live on the internet and talk about so many things related to theology, doctrine, church history, I'm able to do Bible studies. It it, it is an awesome opportunity. It's an awesome privilege. It's an awesome honor. And and hopefully I don't waste anyone's time and everything that we try to do. But I, I take this responsibility. It's not only is it a responsibility, it's an honor, it's a privilege, it's all of those things. But I take this honor, this opportunity, and I and I take this responsibility serious because I want to obviously try to help people. And I, I sometimes have to talk about things that can be very controversial. And sometimes I take, you know, a pro, an approach that makes some people very upset. I don't want to purposely make anyone upset. That, that's not my goal. My goal is to really look at things from a truly theological, biblical perspective, from a truly historical, biblical perspective. And by looking at things from that perspective, you sometimes are then put in a position where you have to just say, hey, that's, that's not biblical. That's not historical Christianity. That theology is corrupt. That theology is dangerous. That theology is harmful. It is hurtful. And whenever you do that, obviously people who hold to that theology that you're calling out, they can get very offended. They can get very upset. They take it very personal. And, I, and I'm aware of that. And, and I don't ever want to just, I don't want anyone to ever feel that when I call things out, that I'm doing so in a way that's, that it's not a personal attack. Let me try to explain it this way. Yes, I'm doing, I'm talking about things related to theology and to the Bible. And so therefore, sometimes I have to say other things are not accurate. Things are not, that's not the right way to handle the scriptures. That's, that's not correct theology. But it's not about personality. It's not about people. It's about, I'm calling out the theology I'm calling out the hermeneutic used to, to interpret the scriptures. I'm calling that out. But it's not about attacking people. It's about attacking the theology. And sometimes people misunderstand that. They're like, well, oh, you, you called out that popular Christian book. You're attacking the person. No, I'm attacking what's in the book, not the person. I'm condemning the theology so that people will hopefully turn from the, the, that theology, turn to a better understanding of theology. And for the person involved, if they hear it, I want them to repent, but it's not about attacking them or trying to belittle them. It's never about that. And I know that there's a fine line there and people sometimes get confused, but I hope you understand that. I hope you do. And I really have to stress all of that because today, I'm here turning on the microphone once again. It's an honor. It's a privilege, but it's a responsibility because I'm going to be talking about things very much related to doctrine, to theology, to preaching, and I have a very strong feeling that I'm going to be 
well, I'm going to be saying some things that is going to be very critical of a specific theology, of a specific doctrine, and of a specific kind of preaching. And as a result, it could offend some people. I'm not here to offend you. If you hold to this doctrine, if you hold to this theology, I hope you'll understand I'm not trying to attack you. I want to help you. I want you to realize that maybe you've bought into a theology. Maybe you've bought into a doctrine that's not biblical in any way, shape, or form. It's actually contrary to historical biblical Christianity. Now, if that is true, it would not be very loving to not warn you or not to try to tell you to maybe run, get away from it, flee from it, because it's not historical biblical Christianity. I hope you understand that this is coming from a perspective of of trying to help you, trying to assist you, trying to demonstrate a love and compassion for you, not a hatred for, for you. I may hate the theology, but I don't in any way ever want to hate an individual. You want to hate the wrong theology. I hope you can understand that distinction because here's what I've got to do today. I have to start reviewing a sermon. Someone emailed me and asked me to review a sermon. Now, it's a privilege and an honor that they would ask me to do that, but it's a a great responsibility that I do so carefully, thoughtfully, but honestly, right? In other words, I can't can't say, well, you know, they sent me this sermon and, and, uh, you know, I, I... I don't want to I don't want to say anything that's too that's too critical. I know I I've got to be open and honest and if if it requires being critical, it's going to require being critical. Now, a lot of times in sermon reviews, I don't offer this kind of like discussion at the beginning. The reason I'm doing so in this case is the person who who emailed me and asked me to review this sermon, they gave me a little bit of insight. They're letting me know that this sermon is coming clearly from a charismatic theological perspective. And I want to be as transparent and I want to be as honest as I can. I absolutely disagree 1000% with charismatic theology. I, I'm just not, again, please understand this is not related to people. This is related to the theology. I despise charismatic theology. I despise it. At times, it makes me very angry because some of the key elements of of, of charismatic theology, you know, I know there's lots of variations and lots of different kinds. I understand that. But there are certain things that have become pretty common within charismatic theology. One is preaching that physical healing is guaranteed right now because of what Jesus did. They will say something like, by his stripes, we are healed. It's not a matter of if it's God's will. It's always God's will to heal. You, you need to have faith and believe your healing. You need to, to proclaim it. You need to confess it and it will happen. I loathe that teaching because of working in the medical world for 22 years, seeing the utter absolute devastation and destruction of people's lives being told this and the healing never comes. The cancer doesn't go away. No, your father is not going to be resurrected because your church is getting together praying for it. No, and it just, and over and over and over, pain, suffering, and the greatest pain and suffering is being told that healing is guaranteed and it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen. 
and, and it leaves people destroyed. It devastates people's faith. It destroys their lives in many cases. And typically the people running around preaching this stuff are not there to pick up the pieces when the healing doesn't occur. It's very heartbreaking and very, and it makes me very, very upset. And I could go into some other aspects of charismatic theology, but that's one that just really, really bothers me. So I'm going to be very honest with you. I know that in this sermon, I'm coming at it. I just want you to be, I want to be transparent. I'm going, I oppose the theology that this sermon is coming from, but I'm going to do everything in my power to set aside my presupposition that obviously my feelings are going into this is, oh, this is going to be a bad sermon. I'm going to try to set that aside and just be open and honest with you and just listen to it with you and just ask important questions about hermeneutics, Bible, Bible interpretation, theology, doctrine, those kinds of things. And so that you know, I want to make sure this is very clear. When the person emailed me and said, hey, can you review this sermon? I have not watched it. I have not listened to it. They told me uh, that it, it begins at a certain timestamp. I've, I've, I downloaded the sermon. I've now advanced to right where they tell me the sermon begins. I'm hoping they're right. I'm hoping they're right because I've, I've got the time set right where they tell me it begins. I have not listened to it. Now, that's that. The reason I do that is because if I was to listen to it first, right? then come back and turn on the microphone and then go through it. It would be like, I would have already rehearsed my responses. Then this is becomes a performance. I don't want this to be a performance. This is a, an honest, honest, honest attempt to listen to a sermon that someone wants me to review and give a very open and honest review critique analysis of the sermon, not based off personal my own personal theological beliefs, but on what I believe the Bible teaches and how the text of, 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 of the scriptures is being handled. Now, I am being told in the email that I have in front of me that the person preaching is going to use the Passion Translation. Now, I've done a number of programs about that translation. I don't even like to refer to it as a translation. I completely think it is heretical. It is dangerous. It adds, it takes away from God's word. It is, it is an absolute mess of a, uh, it's not even should be called a Bible. It should not even be called a translation. I don't even know if you can, maybe you can loosely call it a paraphrase. I don't know what it is, but it's not. And I, and I'm going to say this as honestly as I can. I think if you go to a church and they use the, this supposed translation, I, I, I don't, I think you should probably leave. And when I say leave, I don't mean make a big spectacle of yourself and cause problems and try to divide the church and split the church. I'm not call, calling for all of that. I just think if a church is going there and, and, and anybody who's researched all of the things about this, they them, you, you should know how messed up it is. I mean, it's, there's just no reason. I mean, first of all, fighting it is just, there's no point. You never accomplish anything like that other than you just hurt people. You just say, thank you for what you have done for me. And you just move on. I mean, if you if you need to let someone know, you let someone know. You don't really have to go into all, I mean, unless there's some like, you have to give us 50 reasons. Just, just, it's just, sometimes it's just walk away as quietly as you can and go on with your Christian life and find a different place to worship where 
an actual translation is being utilized uh, and not this crazy thing that we have discussed in the past. And uh, yeah, so so right there, I'm already very nervous about this. And that's why I'm offering, because I've got enough information here, it makes me very concerned that I'm go- very concerned that I'm going to have to be maybe extremely negative. But it's not about the people. I don't know anything about this church. I didn't look up anything about the church. I don't know anything about the person speaking. I don't know anything. I'm trying my best to stay as as objective as I can. But knowing that this translation is going to be used, uh, we, we were reviewing another sermon before and the translation got used. And I, it, that's when I, I had to go do a, a special pro, a couple of special programs. And we, we, I, we even listened to an interview with the person who put together the, I want to call it a translation, the so-called Bible. And that's when we discovered how just utterly suspect it all is. So um, I just, I know that this is going to probably go negative quickly. I'm just going to try to be my, I'm going to do my very best to be fair to be very objective, but very biblical. And I'm going to make no apology for calling error, error. I'm going to make no apology for calling horrible hermeneutics into question, ways of interpreting scripture. I've got no problem doing that. And, uh, And I may use a little bit of humor. I may say some strong words, but it's not directed at the person. It's directed at the teaching. It's directed at the teaching. It's directed at the teaching, not the person. I don't know the person. It's the teaching. I'm not giving the name of the church or anything about the church because I'm not, it's not about them. It's about, okay, here's your message you posted on the internet. Let's see how you handled the scriptures. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to listen to this together in real time. I don't know what's coming. You don't know what's coming. I just, I'm worried that it's going to be really, really negative. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm being too cautious, but I just get nervous um, when someone's like, Hey, I need you to review this for me. And uh, they give me just enough information to make me feel like, Oh boy, this is probably a sermon that I wouldn't want to run from. But in this case, I have to run to in order to try to minister and help someone. So I'm going to do my best to try to minister and help someone, but everything in me says be very your approach cautiously because if I don't approach it in a right attitude, then what will happen is while I'm critiquing a sermon, I myself may be handling myself in an ungodly way, which would be wrong. I think everyone can agree with that. All right. Now, this is going to be part 1 and the reason I made this part 1 is because the sermon um I don't know exactly how long the sermon is total. I think it's got, uh, I think we have 31 minutes. I think it's about 31 minutes long. And my sermon reviews, 31 minutes of review can be like three hours. So we're just going to introduce this and then we'll have to finish it uh, next time. But I at least wanted to get an introduction out of the way and get all of that kind of discussion out of the way about how I do this, why I do this, so that anyone who may hear, anyone who may hear this who, who comes from this theological background I don't want them to be unnecessarily offended and understand what I'm trying to do. I believe that the, this, the charismatic theology is suspect to all almost downright heretical at times. And uh, I, 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 I've got to stand by that. And I just want you to at least consider maybe a perspective that you're not used to hearing. All right. Are you ready? Here we go. We're just going to jump in. I don't know what we're getting ready to hear. Don't even know. 
here we go. I'm as nervous about this. Well, you probably are not nervous. I'm more nervous because since I have no idea what's getting ready to happen, then I have no idea what I should say or need to say because I don't even know what is getting ready to occur. But here we go. I'm just so excited that the Lord always has something fresh. Aren't you? There's just nothing like fresh bread right out of the oven. So, Father, we thank you. You want to speak to us? Thank you for this word, Lord God. We just thank you for the richness, Lord, of your word that we're not left to figure it all out, Lord, leaning on our own understanding. But, Lord, we just acknowledge you in all of our ways. We acknowledge you that we need uh, to look at the map of your word, Father. We need direction. We thank you for your word being a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I pray that even this week, you know what our paths, uh, what lies in store for us, Lord. And we thank you that you're going to equip us, Lord, and give us direction and give us uh, everything that we need, Lord. We're never left alone, Father God, and we just give you praise and glory for that. Speak, Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Open this word to our hearts, we pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now, it's a female pastor female preacher, maybe maybe not the pastor, maybe they are the pastor. Obviously, I believe biblically, this is not in any way, if, it, if, if this is a pastor, if it's a female pastor, I do not believe that's biblical in any way, shape, or form. Um, if she's teaching women, then okay. Um, but I'm not going to make a big deal out of that, right? I'm, I'm going to just focus on, we're going to set that aside and just see how does she handle the scriptures? Like, I'm not going to worry about, well, she's a female, so that's the end of this. That's that's enough. You shouldn't even be asking. It's a female pastor. They, 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 it shouldn't exist because I don't know the details there. I don't know what the situation is. I'm just going to set that aside and say, who cares? Female, male. I'm going to just listen to how the text is handled. How the text is handled. Now, I do have to just, now I don't know where this is going to go, but I got to just throw this in. And I know in the charismatic world, what I'm about to say is going to sound like total insanity to you. But let me just throw this out there because I completely reject this concept. Within the charismatic world and even in the non-charismatic world, within the evangelical world at large, there's this basic idea that I get the Bible and that God gives me some understanding of the Bible. Like, like God's going to give me understanding about the Bible in some supernatural way, in some spiritual way that he, and, and they may quote scriptures that say things like, he will lead, the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. That kind of concept. I've got to, I, I know this is going to sound bizarre to you, but let me just say, I reject all of that outright. And here's my reason. First, Christianity has been around. Christianity, not, 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 we're not, we're not going into obviously the, you know, the, the, into Judaism. I'm just going to go with Christianity itself. All right. We can talk about Israel and God working through Israel. Okay. Obviously I understand that, but I'm just saying what what we would refer to as Christianity, 2000 years of church history, 2000 years of church history where, where Christians at all different times have claimed God is leading us into all truth. The Holy Spirit is opening my eyes. The Holy Spirit is giving me understanding. The Holy Spirit is leading us into all truth. And after 2,000 years of supposedly the Holy Spirit leading us into all truth, yet no one can agree on water baptism. 
What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? No one can agree on that. Speaking in tongues, don't speak in tongues. Women being pastors, women not being pastors. I can go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. You name anything within the church, within the Bible, there is not agreement. Well, if the Holy Spirit's leading us into all truth, at some point, shouldn't we all come to that truth and be unified? But there is no unity. There is no agreement. So I'm, I get, I believe those passages in the, in the Bible that speaks of leading them into all truth was ref, reference to the, the apostles and the disciples who were going to be tasked with and ultimately writing the New Testament. They were led into all truth. They were, uh, what Christ has said was brought back to, to their memory so that they would know and, and would be able to write down accurately what was said and what was done. I don't believe there's some supernatural way. I mean, I... I don't know how many Bible colleges, seminaries I've attended. I've lost count. But if I go through all of them, I, there's never a time I was sitting in class and like, you know what? I didn't need to study for my test. I didn't need to study because God was just going to open my eyes and give me understanding. So here's your test in theology. Here's your test on the book of Genesis. Here's your test on the book of Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers. No one was ever sitting in class and just magically got the answers. They had to study those answers. God doesn't just magically give you understanding of the scriptures. Usually when someone claims, and, and just think about the, the possible danger when you say, well, God is going to open my eyes. God opened my eyes and showed me this. God gave me this understanding. You're claiming that your interpretation or your understanding is infallible. So when I hear language like that, that, you know, God, God open our eyes or, you know, show us in your word. I get very nervous because are you claiming then you were reading the Bible and then out you were giving an understanding. So your, your understanding, your interpretation came directly from God. That makes it an infallible interpretation. That's what many Protestants reject the Catholic church about. They're like, no, the Pope doesn't have the authority to give us an infallible interpretation. Yeah, but you do. So I, I get really nervous when I hear that kind of language. I don't know if it's going to have any impact on the sermon but already starting this idea that somehow, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't put it this way. You have two options. The way you understand the text of scripture is through careful exegesis, careful study of the Bible, using hermeneutical methods. That's how you understand it. Using basic rules that apply to grammar, to reading, to punctuation, determining subject, verb, all, pronouns, all of those kinds of things. That's how we determine our understanding. Or you develop a system where you just kind of read it and then the Holy Spirit kind of tells you what it means. Now, the charismatic world sometimes leans over to, well, the, charis the Holy Spirit will just tell me what it means. And you listen to what people say and it's just, in, in many cases, you're like, that has nothing to do with the text. Now, I don't know if we're going to witness any of this in this sermon, but I figure I better just get that out of the way right now because we're coming at this from two very different approaches. I'm going to be looking at what text is cited, how is the text handled based off rules of grammar, context, historical context, book background, definition of words. That's what I'm going to be looking for. Man. Well, we just started the book of Acts, uh, so I'm excited. I believe God is saying he's doing a new thing. Uh, I don't know if you are aware, we're entering into 2022, uh, but in the uh, 
the Jewish year, it is now uh, 5782, 5782. And, um, you know, I love numerology. I love numbers. So what is the significance of that? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. Oh, boy. All right. Now, first, I've listened to enough charismatic preaching that I think I have heard now a million times. God's doing a new thing. God's doing a new thing. I think I've heard that now a billion times. God seems to be doing a new thing every single day. Um, I always get nervous when someone says God is doing a new thing. Here's what I know what God is doing. I know what God says in his word. That's what I know, right? And when I say his word, written, not supposedly some word that he gave me uh, outside of scripture because, well, then that destroys scripture as being the final and ultimate authority. But so, and now we're going numerology. Now, just, I went, <laughs> numerology, where you say that number represents this and that number represents that. Here's, here's a very, just a, a very important concept. If you're going to say a number means something, you better show me the scripture that says that number means that. Because what I have seen people do with numerology is they'll grab like four passages of scripture and say, see, see that number is related to this and that number is related to this. And I'm like, okay, great. Now let me look up every verse in the Bible that mentions that number. And guess what I just found? You've got four verses that seems to connect that number with this concept, but I've got a hundred verses that talks about that number and doesn't connect it to that concept. So do the four verses determine the meaning of the number or does the hundred verses determine the meaning of the number? And nobody usually wants to go into that because that's not as much fun other than just assigning random meaning to different numbers so that you can then almost like you're doing like a horoscope or some weird thing like that. So this is already getting me a little worried that we've starting off with numerology. I, yes, I'm okay. Here we go. Uh, what does that mean? What is God saying in this year? Well, it is the beginning of a new era, actually, in the spirit. So we're not stuck to the world's uh, timeline. We are we are engrafted into the vine. Amen. And so we're we're looking to the Lord for His timeline and what is what is God saying by His Spirit. And so it is good news because we're actually entering into a new era. We're entering into, uh, there are groups of uh, segments of every seven years in the Jewish calendar, and, and uh, we, it, they're called Shemitah. We're entering into a new Shemitah, a new era, um, and um, every seven years there's like a warning. The cry goes out from God's prophets, and it's a getting ready and a preparing of our hearts, and then now we're exiting one era, and we're entering into a new era. So we're entering into a new era based off numbers related to the Jewish calendar. Okay. Um, anybody know of a scripture that says the way you know what era you are in is looking at the Jewish calendar and understanding what those numbers represent. I'm not sure I know of this 
this concept in the Bible. I, this seems to be an, uh, a concept drawn outside of the Bible. Um, she's saying it in an extremely dogmatic way. Hey, we are entering into a new era. We are entering into a new era. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't realize we were. Okay. I, I don't really know what to make of this. Um, sometimes listening to charismatic preaching, it's sometimes maddening because you're like, okay, wait a minute. Like, okay, just throwing out all these concepts and it, none of it is really based on any scripture in any way, shape or form. And it, and sometimes when scripture is brought in to try to justify it, it's, it has nothing to do with what they're talking about, but let's, let's, I, this is not, uh, I, this is not a promising start from my perspective. Obviously those who are used to charismatic preaching, you're probably like, oh, this is not, this is just, this is no big deal for me. I'm like, wait, where are we already going with this? But okay. If you have felt there's a shift in the spirit, um, we are in a shift right now. We are shifting out. We're exiting one era, entering in another era. And What does a shift in the spirit feel like? What does, what does a feel? What does it feel like? Like if I have a feeling, how do I know that that's a shift in the spirit? Now now we're trying to interpret feelings. So we are interpreting numbers and numbers supposedly on a calendar represents a new error. And that if you feel a shift in the spirit is because we are shifting into a new error. And so that feeling is accurate. But how do you know? Now, now we're trying to interpret numbers and we're trying to interpret feelings. Okay. All right. This is... This is this is very 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 suspect and dangerous right from the start. Um, I don't know what a shift of the spirit feels like. Can't say I've ever experienced a shift of the spirit inside of me. Um, but okay, I, I, I'm let, let's just see where it goes. And uh, go, getting back to the numbers, five. You'll remember who can help me here. Five is a number of grace, God's grace. Grace is sufficient. His grace that appeared for the salvation of all men. Okay, stop right here. Five represents grace. Five represents grace. All right, now, definitely there's no scripture that says five represents grace, but let me see here. Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ask Google, what does... Five represent in numerology. The number five in numerology is characterized by curiosity. It craves adventure, freedom, and a variety of different and exciting experiences in order to feel fulfilled. Okay, well, that is uh, what they say. Hang on, let's see. What does five represent in the Bible? Let's go with that. Okay. Um, okay. Well, now here, now, now we have something that supposedly represents this. The number five symbolizes God's grace. All right. So here, here's something that agrees with this. Let's see if there's anything else here. Um, let's go to another website. Um See, okay, people who are familiar with the Bible know very well that the number five is very important. 
um, in this sense. The number has a lot of biblical and prophetic meanings. So it's mentioned a lot of times in this holy book of Christ, uh, uh, in the holy book of Christians. If you're interested to know what number five means in a biblical sense, you should read this article carefully. All right. So um, what do we learn here? Um, it's a very powerful number. Uh, it's popular as an angel number. Uh, it's an angel number. Okay. Uh, it has something to do with the five senses. It's a symbol of health. Um, okay. What, what else here? Uh, okay. Oh, then they do mention goodness and grace. So they mention a lot of things uh, that uh, it represents. So it seems grace is somewhat, uh, is a pretty common thing here, all right? It can mean mercy and favor as well. Um, oh, well, this says uh, it, the, number, uh, the number five is the number of the universe and is a symbol of the divine's will. All right, so what I want you to just see is she says it in a very dogmatic way. Now, wh- where do we get our understanding from? Should it not arrive from Scripture? I'm going to use sola scriptura, which was the cry of the Protestant Reformation. And make sure we understand this. It, th- her theology doesn't exist without the Protestant Reformation. right? I mean, really, th- this kind of charismatic world doesn't even exist without the Protestant Reformation. I want the Protestant Reformation to be under the control of Rome, and Rome would be the one telling you what five means. She wouldn't be telling us what five means, okay? So um, it's just so just you just assign a meaning to a number, I guess, and that's how it works. All right, let's continue. That's always his heart. Amen? His grace appeared for the salvation of all men. And it teaches us to renounce irreligion and worldly passions. And it gives us power to live sober, upright, and godly lives in this world as we await our blessed hope of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us from all iniquity. And he's purifying for himself a people of his own who are eager for good deeds. Amen. That's what his grace is. So we... Now, I just have to... I know this is going to be, again, contrary to many of you who go to charismatic churches, but this is very common in the evangelical world as well. This idea that, okay, God's grace gives you power so that you can live upright. God gives you the power that you can live holy. He gives you the power. Now, let's just stop and think about this not from a biblical, logical perspective. All Christians run around screaming, you know, God gives us power. He gives us power to be holy. He gives us power to live upright. He gives us power. He gives us power. But everyone saying that we get power would have to acknowledge, or at least most would, that no one has the power to be perfect, to be without sin. So that means there's a limit to said power, right? He gives you power to be holy, but no one's going to be as holy as God. He gives you power to be, to obey God, but no one's going to be perfectly obey God. So that means there's a limit in the power. So how much power do you actually have 
in order to do these things. And why do we constantly say we have all of this power? And then over and over in church after church after church, there's broken marriages, there's premarital sex, there's adultery, there's pornography, there's lying, backbiting, gossip, and slander. If everyone supposedly has this supernatural power to do all of these things that we're called to do. I I constantly call this into question. Now, in some charismatic circles, they will argue not only do you have the power, you have the power and you can be without sin. You literally can live sinless. You literally can live perfect. Now, most of those who claim that never achieve it, but they will tell you that it's possible, but they will tell you, you can be holy. You can, and, and, but over and over in those churches, you find just as much sin in the churches who don't even believe that you can be perfect. So, I, I'm always called in, uh, that into question, but she mentioned it, so I have to at least mention it as well. I, I, I know I want to, I want to, I know I'm breaking in a lot, but I'm just trying to establish what I'm trying to establish here by breaking in so much is that you immediately will begin to realize, wait a minute, his perspective is so alien to this because it is. Whenever I hear this charismatic world, it's to me, I'm looking at something that I've like, it's like I'm walking through the zoo and I'm like, I'm like what animal is that? I have never seen that. What is that? Oh, that's the charismatic. Well, I've never seen the charismatic. It's, it's bizarre to me. If you're in the charismatic world, you're looking over at me going, what is that? Oh, that's, that's historical, reformed, you know, biblical theology that we, we don't know what that is. And, and it, it's two different worlds. But I have to establish some of my thinking now so that when I offer any crit- critique later, you'll understand from where I'm coming from. So that's why I have to kind of break in so much at every little thing. I'm not trying to be nitpicky. I'm trying to establish the perspective which I'm coming from so that when you hear this, you're like, oh, okay, well, he doesn't believe God gives you the power to do the art. He doesn't believe that God is opening your eyes to the, to, to the understanding of scripture. So you're immediately real under, you're getting kind of like the, the cheat sheet to understand my criticisms that will indefinitely, obviously, is coming uh, as we continue through. We're entering this era, and again, God is saying, I'm pouring out my grace. And my grace is available, and my grace is sufficient. It's grace for us. Amen. Now, isn't God's grace available in every era? Do I need to look at a calendar and go, oh, there's a five. The Jewish calendar has a five. This is an era of grace. I'm pouring out my grace. I think his grace has been poured out continually, I don't know, forever, okay? As long as he's been dealing with human beings, God's grace has manifested itself over and 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 over again, right? I mean, so I don't understand the significance. Well, there's a five. It means God's pouring out his grace. He's always pouring out his grace. Are you telling me there's some errors where he doesn't pour out grace? Are you telling me there's some errors where God's grace is not available? Are you really going to go there? So this seems to undermine the whole idea. If, if five represents God's grace, well, God's grace is available. I don't care what's on the calendar. I don't care if it's a two, a one, a zero, an eight, a nine. God's grace is available and God's grace is always sufficient. I don't need a five on a calendar. So what does that even mean? 
Hey, there's a five on the calendar. This is an error of grace. So when there was a four, there it wasn't? <laughs> what in the world is... I think I can go back to any point in human history and see God's grace well, still being available. And then seven is the number of completeness. So complete grace, fullness. We lack no good thing. We lack no spiritual gifts. Amen. So we don't lack anything. So completeness. All right. So, so we don't lack, we don't lack anything because there's a seven on the calendar. Hey, you don't lack anything spiritually because there's a seven on the calendar. But when there was a six on the calendar, you were missing something. Uh, what in the world? I, okay. I, I'm trying to be very measured in my response, okay? But I am a human being, okay? And I and I have tend to be very passionate about whatever I talk about. So please show a little great because there's a five on the calendar. Be gracious towards me because I may lose my mind in the middle of this. I don't want to, but I, I just don't get like, okay, there's a five and a seven. So it's grace is complete. And, but it wasn't complete the year before. So just one year before you don't have complete, completed grace. <laughs> I don't understand that. It doesn't even make any sense to me. The calendar is irrelevant to God's grace being complete. It, it, the calendar number has nothing to do with this. I, I feel like I'm, 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 I feel like I'm doing astrology. Uh, okay, so what sign are you a Pisces? Okay, well this represents this, and this re- represents this, and this represents this, and this represents that. I don't. I real. Oh boy. All right, let's continue. Of His grace. Um, and then the number eight signifies new beginnings, new era. Amen. And the seven as well reminds us. Eight new beginnings. I just, I got to see. I got to see here. Number, number eight. Number eight meaning in the Bible. Um, let's see here. Okay. New beginning. New beginning. It's a it's a symbol of resurrection and regeneration. Oh, it's a it's it's a symbol of creation. Okay, all right. So I just, I'm just curious when they, when people throw out these numbers, is there complete agreement, or do you go and find that there's like 50 different versions? This one seems to be pretty. I didn't even look up the seven because that I've heard that a million times. Completion is it's that's common. I hear that. Um, Eight. Okay. So, all right. Interesting. But again, I I would just like you to realize new beginnings have been available (laughs) no matter what number is on the calendar. Okay. Right. Right. There's a new beginning. If I come to Christ and repent, then in my position, I'm new before God because of his imputed righteousness. So I'm not understanding like this is supposedly a sermon and what's being preached (laughs) is the Jewish calendar. (laughs) And so, and I guess the Jewish cal- calendar is the one we have to go by. That, like, that signifies everything. No other calendar. It's the Jewish calendar. That's what signifies everything. Okay, all right. Of the Shemitah, of the, of the seven-year terms of what God is doing. So you'll say, even the world says, history repeats itself. Because there's a grace. There's always a grace for the era. 
And there's times we wonder, why is God doing that? And whatever happened to the old revival? We don't want to resurrect the old revival. He's doing something new. Amen. And so this is a new beginning. A new beginning. And like Gil said, it's wonderful to have a new beginning. It's a new year. Hallelujah. So there's a new grace, a completeness of a grace uh, for this new thing that he's doing. And then the number two, you'll see this twofold. You'll see a separate, a double. There's, I believe God's saying double for your trouble. You've gone through some trouble. You've gone through some tests. You've gone through some trials. Amen. You're going to be doubly blessed. I remember. We're going to be doubly blessed. Because there's a two on the Jewish calendar. I'm going to be doubly blessed because there's a two on the Jewish calendar. If the two is not on the Jewish calendar, then I'm only going to be blessed once. (laughs) Okay, I'm trying not to laugh. Okay, I'm trying not to mock. I'm trying not to mock. But when you're listening to this, it's really like, what? I I don't even know that, like, that... Is, is this supposedly Christianity? I don't know what this, I don't even know what this is. I like, I, it's so again, alien and foreign to me. Like, okay, hey guys, there's a two on the Jewish calendar. You gone through some trouble, double trouble. You're getting some double blessings, everybody. Woohoo! Double blessings for everyone. Why? Because there's a two on the Jewish calendar. Whoa, did you know this? I didn't know this. So now what happens to the people who who now are going to get doubly blessed and they get cancer in 2022? What happens to the people who, who, I don't know, their their daughter is killed by a drunk driver in 2022. What happens to the woman who is raped in 2022? What happens to the child who is molested in 2022? What happens to the, to the child who is abused in 2022? What happens to the person who loses their job in 2022 or lose their home gets repossessed? What, ha- what happens? What happens? I, I just don't know. Or foreclosed on or their car gets repossessed. You get the idea because there's going to be lots of people who are going to suffer. Oh, no, no, no. You're actually being double blessed. Why? Because there's a two on the Jewish calendar. Let me tell you, it's a year of double blessing. Are, are you, do you mean spiritual blessings? Well, wait a minute. I already have all spiritual blessings. She's already said we've already have all spiritual blessings. So then can I, am I going to get double of all, of all spiritual? If I already have all spiritual blessings, how do I get double of all? So I, I'm, uh, oh man, okay, all right. We're moving from Dorchester to St. Thomas and then back again and the Lord gave me a scripture. I'm giving you a double portion. And that is what God is saying right now. He's saying a double portion of my anointing, a double portion of my grace, a double portion for those who have gone through and proven faithful, gone through the tests, amen. And so there's, again, a two, it's like people are dividing. There's a choosing. God says, behold, I set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Oh, whoa, what is, what is happening here? Okay, so so I, I'm getting I'm double. Now, all of a sudden, God gave her a scripture about a double portion. Which scripture did he? He gave it to her. So God just gave her a scripture. God's like, hey, this scripture is for you. Like, which 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 scripture is she referring to? Um, 
I I I don't under I I don't understand. I I don't um I and then all of a sudden he just said I, I, I what is happening here? Okay, I got to back this up because now she's just throwing things out all over the place. Okay, now let me make this very clear. Okay, I know in the charismatic world you may not be new to this or you may not understand this and this may be new to you. Let me just explain something to you. The Bible is not just made up of like, it's not, okay, have you ever had like a, there's a big bowl, right? Let's say a big bowl and it has all kinds of things in it. And someone will say, just reach in and grab whatever you want, right? And whatever comes out and you just reach in and you grab whatever you want. The Bible is not, you just reach in and grab whatever applies. Oh, what well, you just reach in and grab whatever you want. It's not like, oh, oh, there's a verse about a double portion. Well, that may not have anything to do with you. What verse did God give you about a double portion? Because I want to go see it. Because see that it's not just you just rip it out of the candy jar. You got to go in and go, wait a minute. What, who was that verse originally given to? What was the context? What was going on? It may literally have zero to do with you. Zero. None. I mean, it may not have anything to do with you. And now she's quoting, I think that's from Deuteronomy. And that clearly that Deuteronomy passage is about Israel going into the promised land. It's not about us. Okay. It's not about us coming out of Egyptian captivity, wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years and now getting us ready to go into the promise. No, that has a historical context, historical setting given to people in that specific setting. There may be some principle we can gain from it, but you can't just rip any, any verse, any promise out of its original context and apply it to yourself. That's not, not only is that not hermeneutics, that's not even Bible study. That is, that is literally ripping God's word into pieces. The verses have connection to the verses that precede it and follow it. You've got to go, what, what is this about? She's just, I don't even know. It's just like just throwing everything out there. What drives me crazy sometimes about this kind of preaching and the, and the charismatic world is it comes across as so super spiritual, right? Oh, spirit. These numbers represent this and it's the Jewish calendar. Ooh, how mystical. And this number represents, and I get a double portion and, and ooh, and it's a grace. Ooh, this sound, and it sounds so godly and so spiritual that, that the people sitting there can't even see in many cases, but you're not getting anything actually biblical. You're not, this is not even actually anything to do with historical Christianity. This is just a, a, a form of spirituality, but there's no actual connection to God's word, which is where we're supposed to turn to from truth. Other than randomly quoting verses so far, far out of their proper context that they lose all actual meaning. You can't just assign the meaning to the words. You have to discover the meaning of the words based off the context in which those words are found, determining what they meant to the original audience to whom they were given. Oh, this is just crazy. So let's let's go back through this again. Double portion of my grace, a double portion for those who have gone through and proven faithful, gone through the tests. Amen. What's a double portion of grace? Is God's grace sufficient? It's sufficient, but now I get a double portion. So what, what does that look like? I don't, okay. 
man. And so there's again, uh, two, it's like people are dividing. There's a choosing. God says, behold, I set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Choose. Okay, now I'm going to find that verse. It's either in Deuteronomy. I think it's in Deuteronomy. It's quoted a lot. I should know where it is, but uh, I have set before you life and death. Okay, I have set before you life and death. Yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 30, of I believe it's verse 19. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. In fact, I'll just open this. Yeah, Deuteronomy 30, 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. This has specific connotation to Israel. Now, there may be some principles there, okay, but we, we've got, we can't just rip it out of its context. What, what, what is it saying to the original people? Getting prepared to go into the promised land. Choose you this day, amen? How long will you be limping between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. And if Baal's God, serve him. He's setting before us two, amen. So that's the significance, five, seven, eight, two. So new beginnings, God is saying something. We can uh, receive it. I believe that what he's saying is about, again, to exhale, to breathe, amen, to breathe on the body of Christ, a fresh wind, a fresh anointing. I believe that's why he's got us in the book of Acts. It's a new... there's, There's literally... Nothing new about any of this. I mean, she's using the, the Jewish calendar, but I have heard this so many times. It's a new era. God's going to breathe on us again. A new fresh breath from God is coming. It's coming. I've heard it in uh, praise and worship services. I've heard it in charismatic tea. I've heard it over and over and over. And I think I was hearing this way back in the Brownsville revival. This is it. This is it. It's a fresh anointing from God. Get in. It's right here. It's right now. I've heard this stuff over the, the Toronto blessing over and over and over and over and over and over and over. I mean, it's just it's the same thing being stated just in a new year and a new time. I mean, I, I hear it over and over and over again, but all right. That's just frustrating for me, but okay. We're going to have to stop here soon, but let, let's see if we can get a little bit further. Here we go. New thing. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. The old is gone. Amen. We can't go back there. The new is before us. Now, there's a verse in Isaiah about God saying, behold, I do a new thing. But I think if you look at the context, maybe that new thing has a very specific historical setting for Israel or uh, maybe has uh, some uh, important connections to eschatology. But I I guess we're not going to actually look up any scriptures at this point, I guess we're not going to actually engage in any of these scriptures, just make references to them, references to them. So it sounds spiritual, but obviously context doesn't matter. Nothing matters here. I, I, I'm assuming we're going to open up the book of Acts here in a minute, I'm assuming. So let, let's see if we can at least get to that. So we have to realize what is that? That is what he's saying. So again, they're waiting in the upper room. Let's just look at that and then go through the points. You'll notice I got a little... Uh, theme going here, the all beginning with the letter E, just happened to be that way. So the first one is that he's exhaling, breathing, fresh wind, fresh anointing, doing a new thing. 
Amen. So we left off last week. I'll just recap a little bit. In Acts 1, I'm reading and going through this so far in the Passion Translation. Right after he... Now let me just stop right here. A couple of things. This is, this is getting really crazy now. All right. Okay, the minute the Passion Translation comes out, I mean, am I, and I'm just going to be honest, it's time to, it's, I would not go to a church that would use it. I would not, and under any way, shape, or form. The whole, and try to expound the Jewish calendar and make up all of these numbers, it's just none of that is, none of this is biblical preaching. It's not historical Christian preaching. And it seems that where she's going is that she's using the historical event recorded in the book of Acts to somehow take that historical event and say that God is doing the same thing now. Let's make it very clear that whenever you're looking at anything in the Bible, you have to ask yourself, is this simply describing what has occurred? It describes what has occurred past tense. There may be principles derived from it, but it's describing something that happened at a specific time in history Or is it prescribing that that same thing is supposed to happen now? Over and over, charismatics run to the book of Acts and say, see, 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 it happened there. So the same thing should happen now. No, the day of Pentecost was was a one-time event. It occurred one time to fulfill specific purposes. The day of Pentecost, if you go back to the Feast of Pentecost and the book of Leviticus, and what it symbolized with the baking of the bread and the things you were supposed to do, The day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of that feast day, what it was symbolizing. This was a specific historical event that occurred once. It's not supposed to happen again. It's a one-time event. Charismatics keep saying that, you know, we can have another day of Pentecost. They've been saying it since the 80s or way before the 80s. They've been saying it since probably the 1900s, the early 1900s, when you really the birth of the modern-day charismatic movement. And here we are in 2022, and they're still saying the same thing. That's, that seems to be where this is going, is that somehow, hey, this is whatever we see here in Acts, God is going to be doing it now. Instead of saying, no, this is what occurred then. What principles can we learn from it? That's the way we should approach this. But all right, let's see if we can at least get her review done. He spoke, Acts 1, verse 9, right after he spoke those words, the disciples saw Jesus lifted into the sky and disappear into a cloud. As they stared into the sky, watching Jesus ascend, two men in white robes suddenly appeared beside him. They told the startled disciples, Galileans, why are you staring up in the sky? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but... He will come back the same way that you saw him ascend. Then the disciples left the Mount of Olives, returned to Jerusalem less than a mile away. Arriving there, they went into a large second room, floor room to pray. And then we read about those who were present. And then picking up from there in verse 14, all of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. Talk about perfect song. Like always, isn't the Holy Spirit wonderful? I'm so thrilled that we never have to figure it all out. and It's not by trying so hard. When God is doing something by his Holy Spirit, 
We just get to come along on the ride. Amen. Is where is he going? What is he doing? Uh, we just want to go along. And, and one thing, no exceptions, we all need the Holy Spirit. If we're going to receive and get this fresh wind of the Holy Spirit, if we're about to enter a new era, I'm more aware than ever, this is it. This is showtime. No exceptions. We all need the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, don't go anywhere until you receive power. No exceptions. Okay, so we, we all need the Holy Spirit. I think the way it works is if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian because you have to have the Holy Spirit in order to be a Christian because he indwells us. He seals us until the day of redemption. So, but this gets into some charismatic, I don't know, doctrines of the Holy Spirit that gets at times you're like, what in the world is going on? Because there's all kinds of different views within the charismatic world, you know, so we won't go through that right now. All right. So we need the Holy Spirit. We're going to have to stop right there. We're going to have to stop right there. I want to get further, but I wanted to get the introduction out of the way. So we're going to stop with 22 minutes and 45 seconds left. I've got to write this down in my journal. 22 minutes. 45 seconds left. I wish we could have gotten further. I can't really draw any major conclusions at this point other than what we've heard so far is not preaching, really, in in any meaningful. What we're hearing here is a really weird, like, hey, this is what happened then, but she's going to constantly be saying this is what, in other words, we can almost repeat what happens in Acts if we do the exact same things, which charismatics have been claiming forever. And no, it, it, you're, it's not. It's not. It's a one-time historical event. You're not going to repeat that one-time historical event. It happened to fulfill what had been pictured in the Old Testament, and it was fulfilled and it was done. And so I, but so there's there's just I don't I don't know where this is going. But uh, I, the passion. Translation is already enough to, to make me want to run, and uh, and I, I don't even get the rest of everything that's happened in this sermon. I don't even, I don't, all we can do is wait and see. That's all we can do. So until next time, we'll stop right there. If you have any questions or thoughts or comments, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And part two, we're just going to jump in. We're just going to jump in and that's what we're going to do. We're not going to, I'm not going to go back and establish all of this that I've established here. That's why I spent the time in part one doing that. But if you have any questions or concerns, email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I hope I've done a halfway decent job and uh, I am going to work through every aspect of this and try my best to ensure that the person who requested me to do this gets whatever answer they need. All right, I'll stop right here. Thanks for listening. God bless.